Y'all can sit down for a little bit if you want. <laughs> I won't make you stand too long. It's good to see you guys. Thank you for being here, for worshiping with us. Thank you for those who have logged on online and worshiping with us online. I hope you've grabbed a bulletin on your way in. Quite a few announcements in there. Just a few I want to point out to you. That uh, was One that was mentioned last week, we opened up our kids' ministry on Wednesday nights again at 7 p.m. in the chapel. In addition to our Sunday night kids, so kids... We're gearing up. We're getting ready. So we hope that you guys are being a part of that. One last announcement I really want to point out to you. We are two weeks away from our Monday night March revival services. They are coming up very soon. And I pray that you'll make it a a plan to be a part of each one. All of the speakers are there in your bulletin. Uh, We've got Dr. Mark Harris, uh, Reverend Anthony Clemens, Dr. Mike Whitson, and Reverend Quintel Hill. 
So I pray that you, you make it a plan to come and be a part of these revival services that are coming up. Um, if they were anything like they have been in the past, they will be a tremendous blessing to everyone who comes and is a part of those. So I pray that you put those on your calendar. Let's take a moment to pray together and prepare our hearts for, for why we're here, which is to worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is so good to be here in your house. We are so grateful and thankful to, to be able to enter into your presence. Lord, it is a beautiful thing to experience the beauty of your glory, which is what we have come to, to behold and to lift up. Lord, as we have, have gathered together, some of us have, have been on the highest of mountaintops this week, and, and for those, we, we praise you and rejoice for the good things that you have brought. But for those who have experienced the lowest and the darkest of valleys, Lord, we also lift up praise. For we know that as the, the psalmist wrote that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not have to fear. For you are always there with us, even in the lowest and darkest of valleys. You have never left us. On the highest of mountains, you are still there. And Lord, we are just so grateful to know that we serve a God who is with us in the good times and the bad. It doesn't matter where we are, where we've been, what we're going through. You are there. Holding us, loving us, caring for us. Lord, we are so thankful to have a God who is with us wherever we may be. In whatever season of life, in whatever circumstance. Lord, you are there. And we praise you for that. For your goodness that you bring. And Lord, as we now take this time to prepare ourselves for worship. Lord, give us that heart. Give us that heart that is ready to praise you. Give us a heart full of fiery worship. Lord, that we are, we are here to praise you. We are here to lift you up. For we have the name that is above every other name. The name that, that brings healing where sickness is. The name that brings light where there is darkness. The name of Jesus. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to please stand as we sing together to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive today's message.
Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we just thank you so much for this day to be in your house to worship your holy name, God. We're just so indebted to you, and we're just so thankful for what you have done for us. God, I pray for these tithes and offerings as we bring a portion back to you, Lord, that you will bless them and use them for your kingdom. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated.
Amen. Well, it's my joy to introduce our guest speaker for today. Um, <clears throat> I am uh, very thrilled and, and honored to be able to be back in the pulpit here and uh, be able to, to preach in Pastor Tommy's absence. Um, I, I've said it once, I've said it a, a million times, and I continue to say I could not have asked for a better church to have experienced my my call to ministry, my work in ministry, my life in ministry than First Baptist. Um, you guys have been very kind and gracious people um, to a to a young man who, for lack of better words, didn't know what he was doing, and uh, being able to to grow up and and be raised by by great leaders and and great mentors here has meant a lot to me. Uh, so from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you, First Baptist. Uh, this is a product of what true discipleship in the church looks like. Thank you, First Baptist, for what you've done for me. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of First Corinthians, chapter number 1. First Corinthians, chapter number 1. For some of us, this will be a somewhat familiar passage of Scripture, and it may seem kind of odd as to, to why we are, we are looking at this passage, but as the Lord had laid this passage on my heart and through, through the study it has impacted me, and I pray that it has the same effect on you, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we will start at verse number 18, and we will read down through the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church in Corinth, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, 
But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. And the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, as we have proclaimed the majesty and glory that is your name, that your name is the most powerful name to ever be uttered by men, that your name is the highest name that can ever be given, that your name is the only name that can bring life from death. Now as we come to your word, we continue to proclaim your name. We continue to proclaim your glory. And as we do, Lord, our prayer is that we would be changed and transformed through your word. That as we proclaim your glory, as we proclaim your name, your spirit would just move within us. That we would not be the same as when we came here today. But as we leave, we resemble more and more the very image of Jesus Christ. This is our prayer in his name. Amen. For those of you who keep up with these certain dates on the calendar, some of you will note that Lent... The season of Lent starts this week on Wednesday. We celebrate Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the Lenten season. For those of you who don't know what what that is, it's as Advent is a season of preparation for Christmas, so Lent is a season of preparation for Easter. It's a time of of fasting and prayer, uh, of a a time of repentance, a time of Bible study, a time of, of developing more closely your relationship with the Lord. And throughout history, within the season of Lent, the cross has played a significant symbol. As we approach the Easter season and as it is coming up, we no doubt continue to remember the cross. However, for many years, even up to even today's time right now, for some time the cross has slowly been pushed and pushed and pushed farther into a very dark background. It's something that not many people like to mention, uh, something people don't like to talk about much anymore. Ironically, you have people today, even lost people, who wear necklaces that have the symbol of the cross on it. I asked a a young gentleman who who just happens to be a lost person, I asked him one time why he had the the cross necklace on. Why, why Why do you find that so interesting? To most people, it's just the most famous Christian icon they can think of. If I I just have it, then then it should be enough for me. They don't understand the true significance of what the cross is. 
And the truth of the matter is that when you, when you talk about the cross, there, there's many people that, that bring up these different ideas about the cross. Theologian A.W. Tozer refers to these as new crosses. Listen to what the, the man says. The old cross slew men. The new cross entertains them. The old cross condemned. The new cross amuses. The old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh. The new cross encourages it. There, as this theologian tells us, there, there's new crosses everywhere. Everywhere you look, there, there's, there's people who, who, who have this idea of, of a cross in front of them. What kind of new crosses are there, you may ask and wonder? Well, we have the cross of addiction, the cross of indulgence, the cross of, of self-help, the cross of pride, some of our favorites, the cross of tradition, the cross of complacency. There's many different new crosses out there that, that people are following and people are, are going after and looking to. But the truth of the matter is, there is only one true cross. And it is the cross of Calvary. Only one of these crosses is true. And as people who, who bear the name Christian, we of all people should uphold that one true cross. We of all people should boldly show and proclaim this cross as we live our lives. Why, you ask? Because the cross is sufficient. What do I mean by that? The cross is enough for anything and everything that people face in life. If anything was to come our way, where would we go? To the cross. If anything good came in our lives, what, what would we try to lift up? The cross. The cross is truly sufficient. In our time together, as we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians, I want us to see how Paul shows us three reasons why the cross is enough. Number one, the cross is enough because of its power. People today, much like the people in Corinth, as Paul was writing this letter, they're, they are looking for anything and, and, and everything for anyone to help them with difficult things in life. For the people in Corinth, Corinth was known as the sin city of the known time. There were rampant pagan idols. There, there were many temples that were, that were given to worship these false gods. And, and anyone and everyone was looking for something and someone to help them through difficult times. Much like today. Whether it's, it's dealing with sin, whether it's dealing with, with marital issues, family issues, something with your job, your finances. We always tend to seek out the strongest and wisest expert in the topic. Especially, as Paul says in this passage, that the cross seems Foolish. That word foolish, the word of the cross is foolishness. It, it's the Greek word moria. And you can hear the English word moron in it. 
The word of the cross is moronic. Who could, who could dare think of something like this? Who could dare think that, that a cross can help us get through anything that we face in life? But Paul, however, takes a different approach. He says that the word of the cross is the power of God. The word of the cross is the power of God. The power of the cross is found in the fullness of the gospel. The gospel is the word of the cross. And that's where we see the full power that the cross has. In the truth of its message. In the truth of its word. There is no amount of, of human wisdom that can ever conceive of such power. How many of us could dare think of a virgin birth? How many of us could dare think of a, the God of heaven who created everything, leaving the splendor of his praises to come and live among sinful people? Who could dare think of such a man to live a perfect life? Who of us could dare think of a perfect man going through suffering? There's no amount of human wisdom that can ever conceive of, of such power. And the truth of the matter is that, that human wisdom leads to reliance on human power. Let me say that again. Human wisdom leads to reliance on human power. But divine wisdom leads to reliance on divine power. When we rely on that divine power of God, it always defeats human power. Note that in verse 19, Paul quotes Isaiah 29, 14. Through God's wisdom, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. God's wisdom always defeats human wisdom and his power always defeats human power. This is why Paul could say in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. That's why Paul could boldly say this. He knew the power of the cross. He knew the power that it had. From the incarnation leading all the way to the crucifixion and the resurrection... And even ending in the glory of the splendor of eternal life and glory. The power of the cross is enough for anything that we will ever face in life. Anything that we come to, we know that the power of the cross can get us through. In the highest of mountains, it's the power of the cross that helps us to continue to boast in the Lord. The power of the cross tells us that it's enough. But the cross is enough also because of its person. The message of the cross, again, the gospel itself, has always been an exclusive message. What I mean by that is the message of the cross has always been and always will be Christ and Christ alone. It's exclusive. There, there is no one else who can be a part in that message but Jesus. The Bible is explicitly clear on this. Jesus himself in John chapter 14 says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In Acts chapter 4, 
we hear the apostles say that there is salvation in none other. For there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. In 1 Timothy, Paul, as he's writing to this young pastor, tells him that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The Bible is explicitly clear that there is only one person who fits the message of the cross, and that is Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's exclusive. And if the message of the cross displays its power, then the power of that cross is found in its person. Paul takes the message of the cross farther than saying it's just Christ. Notice that Paul says in verse number 23, we preach Christ crucified. It's not even Christ and His teachings. It's not even Christ and His miracles. Christ and His life. His ministry. He doesn't even mention the resurrection here. But he mentions Christ crucified. As glorious as as the life and resurrection of Jesus is, Paul is bold in saying, we preach Christ and Him crucified. Why would Paul use such strong language here? Especially since he says that that this is a stumbling block to Jews and and foolishness to Gentiles. I mean, what what kind of God would, would leave heaven just to tell us that life can come through death? Even when death and oppression are all around us. Think of the Jewish people when when Jesus is talking about all these things. What what in the world is this man saying? That that he's going to come set us free through death. We didn't ask for someone to die. We asked for, for a strong and mighty Messiah to take us free from the Roman oppression we're in. The Gentiles. What kind of a Savior is He that hangs on a cross? Especially when Paul in the book of Galatians says, Cursed is He that hangs on a cross. Quoting from the Old Testament. What kind of Messiah is that? How can He be esteemed as a Savior if He's hanging dead? To the lost... Christ crucified is the most absurd message to ever be uttered by anyone. When we were lost in our sins, Christ crucified was the most absurd message we could ever think of. Why would I want to put my faith in a man who is hanging lifeless to a man who got put in a tomb just to be sealed up? But to the believer, to those who have given their lives to Christ and Christ crucified, Paul says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Where is the divine power? Where is the divine wisdom that we talk about? It's found in the cross where Christ hangs. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Martin Luther the famous man who started the Protestant Reformation, in talking about Christ and Christ alone, 
He says, I must listen to the gospel. It tells me not what I must do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. That is the person that makes the cross enough. Not what I can do, but what He has already done through the power of His cross. When we boldly stand up, When we boldly hold up the cross and we boldly proclaim in our message Christ and Christ crucified, what are we saying? We say that Jesus is our only hope. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our comfort. He is our advocate with the Father. He's our deliverer. He's the redeemer. He is our light in the darkness. He is everything. That's what we proclaim when we proclaim Christ and Christ crucified. Paul, as he continues writing in in chapter 2, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In other words, even when Paul was in Corinth, the only message that he ever preached was look to Christ and Christ on the cross. Look at Him hanging there. Look at Him taking your sins. Look at Him taking your burdens. Look at Him taking all of your anxieties. Look at Him taking all of your problems as He's hanging there. Because He's enough. He is sufficient. As we rejoice in the truth of the power of the cross. And we relish that it can get us through anything. We are looking up at nothing else but seeing our Savior hanging there. Saying, I love you. I love you. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans 5? That God showed His love to us. That while we were in sin. While we were still fighting against Him. While we were still running away from Him. Christ died for us. Praise God. For Jesus Christ. Praise God for Christ crucified. Why is the cross enough for us? Not just because it's powerful. But looking at the person himself. Looking at Jesus. The one who took the cross for us. Paul continues as he writes this passage and tells us. That the cross is enough Because of its power, because of its person, but because of its purpose. Once we see and understand the the power and the person of the cross, we then begin to understand the purpose of the cross. And in the passage that we read together, Paul gives us a twofold purpose of the cross. Number one, Paul tells us that the cross is to display God's sovereignty. What do I mean when I say God's sovereignty? Simply that God is in control. He's all powerful. He holds everything together and orchestrates everything according to his great will. He is the all sovereign God. Man has a tendency to think things should operate a certain way. Especially when God has other plans. We think to passages like Isaiah 55, where God says that your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. My ways are higher than yours. 
And my thoughts are higher than yours. We get to passages where Jesus teaches. Matthew chapter 5, for example, sticks out to me. Jesus teaching not just his disciples, but the, the multitudes on the mount. It says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty. The humble, the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Who would dare think of that? And the, the truth of the matter is here that, that the gospel message is completely contrary to the message of man. Not only does, does the gospel take all power away from us to save ourselves, but the gospel limits those who can receive it. No, oh, that's a shocking statement there. Let me explain what I mean. Listen to this encounter from Mark chapter 2. Jesus has called Matthew, the tax collector, to come and follow him. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 2, when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The gospel limits those who can receive it. If you think you're not even lost, what's the purpose in trying to be found? If you think that you, you've got it all together, what's the point of looking to the cross? What's the point of the gospel? If you're not messed up, if you haven't done anything wrong, if you're a good person, then what's the, what's the need for someone to say, I'm going to take the bad things you've done? Jesus himself said, I didn't come to call righteous people. I didn't come to call good servants. I didn't come to call those who are good in their community, those who have a good name, those who do all these things. I have come to call sinners. That's the gospel. It limits those who can receive it. In, in order to, to take on the truth of the gospel, you have to know you are lost in sin. And you can't save yourself. There's no amount of good you can do. There's no amount of places you can go. There's not any amount of church services you can sit in. There's not amount of prayers you can pray. No amount of, of, of uh, scriptures you can study through. The only way you can be saved is to realize you can't do it. But there is someone who can. We see that the, the, the cross was always meant to point us to the only sovereign God who can save us. That's one of the primary purposes of the cross. To point us to God and His sovereignty. But it also displays His glory. The true fact of God's sovereignty in the cross shows us our inability to help with it. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. But what good can a dead person do? What, what is anything that a dead person can do? Well, believe it or not, a dead person can do two things. They can rot and they can stink. 
And if that's all you have to offer, lost in your sins and trespasses to your salvation, (laughs) good luck to you. We can't help with the cross. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to save ourselves, let alone anyone else. Once we acknowledge that it is God and God alone, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, and we take the focus and the work off of ourselves, then he gets the glory that he rightfully deserves. We have to acknowledge that there is nothing that we can do. There is no amount of good that we can offer. Isaiah goes as far to say that our good deeds that we try to bring and offer are as nothing but filthy rags. Nothing but filthy, dirty towels. To the God of heaven to usher us into his kingdom. But once we take that off of ourselves, once the spotlight is taken away from us, The spotlight is put onto Him. The spotlight is put onto the cross where God is lifted up. Where God's glory is displayed for all people to see. Notice that in verse 31 of our passage that Paul quotes Jeremiah 9. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Where do we find our glory? Where do we find our boasting? Where do we find all of our exaltation? But in God and God alone. There's nothing that we can do. If it were up to us, we would have turned away long ago. Many people would have said, if I were in the Garden of Eden, I would have listened. No, you wouldn't. You would have taken that fruit just like they did. But our boast, our glory does not rest in ourselves. Because there is nothing good in us. But there is a lot of good in God. The cross shows his sovereignty. The cross is the biggest display of his glory. People ask me, why do you, why do you trust in such a good God? Why do you trust in, in, in a God who does this? Because the power of the cross has saved me from where I was. The cross has taken me from where I used to be. And it has brought me into his kingdom. It has brought me into his presence. And the cross is what gets me through day to day. So that he alone receives all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Through the Protestant Reformation, we get the famous Latin saying, Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. That's our song. That's our boast. That's our glory. Glory be To God alone. The cross is enough. It is fully sufficient. It is enough for salvation. It's enough for our family lives. It's enough for our jobs. It's enough for the works of the church. It is enough for everything that we go through. So my question to you today. Have you been to the cross lately? Have you experienced its power? That it it alone has the power to get you through anything and everything. Have you encountered its person? Have you come to know the Lord Jesus? Have you relied on Him to get you 
through the valleys of the shadows of death? Have you relied on Him to walk on the tops of the mountains with you? Have you embraced its purpose? That you know it's not of you. That you don't get anything from it. But all the glory goes to Him. The invitation to come to the cross is an invitation for saved and lost people alike. We invite lost people to come to the cross for salvation. But believer, listen to me. We need to come to the cross. We need to come to the cross. This is the cross that has once saved us. This is the cross that perseveres us in this troubled time that we're in. This is the cross that brings us into glory. This is the cross that we lift up when we get there. Believer, we need to come to the cross. The invitation has been given. And the offer has not left as long as we are still breathing. May we truly come to the cross. That's the only place we can go. But to the cross. In just a moment, we will take a time to sing together. And as we do, my prayer is that you embrace the invitation to come to the cross. The cross has never left. The cross has always been there. And Jesus is waiting to meet you there. To show you his great love. To show you his great power. That all would know his great glory. Come to the cross. Father. Lord, we are so thankful for the cross. Lord, thank you for what you have done through the work of the cross. Thank you for Jesus who has come to take on the cross for us. Lord, we know that without the cross we would be nothing. We would be destined and doomed to die a sinner's death. But you sent the cross. You set the cross in motion before we were even a thought in our parents' eyes. Before the world was even spoken into existence, the cross was standing. Lord, we know that the cross is enough. And it is fully sufficient. We need run nowhere else. We need look nowhere else. But to the cross. For it's in that cross that has the power to save us. It's the power to rescue us from the domain of sin. It's the power to get us through trial and tribulation. The person who hung on that cross is a person that can be none other but your son. Your son who alone is the source of our salvation. Your son who alone is the only powerful one to rescue us. Lord, as we come to the cross, may we lift up your glory. Not to boast in ourselves. Not to say of anything that we have done, ever could do. 
but what you have done for us. Lord, there's so much that we could offer. There's so much we could try to pay back, but no amount will ever, ever match up to the cross. So Lord, may our offerings be our lives. May our offerings be lifting up your glory as we seek to obey you, as we seek to follow after you. Thank you for the cross. As we enter to this time, Lord, move within us. Speak to our hearts. And as you speak, May we obediently respond to you in faithful obedience. Doing this time as only you will. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us?
thank you again for being here. And I want to again say thank you, First Baptist, for what you have done for me and to my family for these past, what, almost 15 years that we've been here. We are so grateful for each and every one of you and the impact that you've made on our lives. Thank you. Would you mind closing us in prayer, Miss Nancy? Thank you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we just thank you for the words, the message that we have heard today. Lord, let us take it to heart. And God, as we enter into this season of Lent, let us look to the cross and remember, God, what it means to us as your children. That it is not a symbol of death, it is a symbol of your amazing love. Lord, let us take that message with us now as we go our separate ways so that we can spread our light in a very dark world. And so, Lord, that we will be closer to you and help draw others closer to you as well. God, we love you. We thank you for your blessings and the ways that you show us that you love us each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen.